Hi, everyone. I'm Marisol Nichols. Welcome to my podcast, Hollywood Vigilante. I'm so grateful to be here. So just so you know, I am not on the set of Riverdale. I'm not here talking about films or TV or doing press for anything or giving you any beauty tips or any of that. I'm talking about another part of my life, something that I've dedicated my life and this podcast to. I'm here talking about modern day slavery. It's a term first coined by President Barack Obama. This is something I've been passionate about stopping since I first heard about it. And what many of you may not know is that when I'm not acting, from time to time over the last eight years, I have been deputized as a legal informant and I am a contracted undercover operative. I work with former CIA, former FBI, former Navy SEALs, Green Berets, and I partner with governments and law enforcement. And I participate in that aspect in taking down pedophiles, liberating women from being sex trafficked and children, and I've infiltrated trafficking rings, massage parlors, trafficking kids out the back door, and a host of other dark stuff. Basically, I do whatever's needed. And believe me, at times I thought, am I crazy? How in the world did I get myself into this situation? Because it's terrifying and it's overwhelming and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? But I couldn't not do something. So I've been so honored to work with others who have dedicated their lives to this mission. I mean, individuals with a tremendous amount of courage so with this podcast, I'm going to take you behind the scenes of numerous trafficking sting operations, some that I've been fortunate enough to participate in over the years. These stories might shake you to the core. Some of these ops can get pretty messy. The perpetrators are unpredictable. And unfortunately, the efforts don't always lead to an arrest. In this podcast, we will focus on sex trafficking and all the different angles that these criminals use to enslave someone both in body and in spirit. We're going to dive into the ops. We're gonna interview experts in the field and talk to our influential celebrity fellow actors and actresses in the business, friends of mine who are striving to make an impact and join the fight. We will talk about the issue first. We'll talk about the challenges that are being faced and the tactics being implemented to overcome them. We will have visuals of the ops that no one else has seen. We're going to review specific strategies. We're gonna analyze press and data and laws enacted and sometimes contradicting information to provide an experience like no other. We're gonna talk about how to detect these predatorial monsters and how they move about the globe with their prey in tow. We're also gonna educate you so you can protect yourself and your family and your loved ones. And if you feel so inclined, ways that you can join the fight. So hi, I'm Marisol Nichols. Welcome to my podcast and my very first most important guest, Mr. Tim Ballard. So Tim is former CAA, former Homeland Security, where he headed up the Child Sex Crimes Unit. Basically, all he did was go around the world and do undercover ops rescuing women and children from these horrific, horrific situations. He left the government because he wanted to form his own nonprofit called Operation Underground Railroad. And because of that, he was able to have even further reach into other countries and other situations where he could not go when he was with the government. Since then, he's grown OUR into a huge, huge organization. And we met about six months after he left the government. So here is Tim Ballard. Please welcome him to the podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm so honored to be the first guest. <laughs> you're my first guest. And I'd be so pissed if you didn't have me. Exactly. Just kidding. <laughs> so for our audience members, just so you guys know, Tim is also who trained me up to go undercover. He's the reason why I'm able to do certain things like that. You are the reason I'm doing this. You know that, right? Like yes, but you're also the reason that we've been able to have so much success. So, okay, why don't we talk about how when we first met? In the U.S. Congress testifying about the International Megan's Law, mm -hmm. and someone was there mm -hmm. and said, you've got to meet this actress, Marisol <laughs> Nichols. Like, her passion is everything you're talking about. And I was in L.A. a few weeks later, yeah. and we met, and she wasn't joking about your passion. 
it was like, whoa, it was just like watching you, just like, you had all these facts and this, and you're like <laughs> telling these stories. You can't believe you're outraged. You were yeah. outraged yeah. that this many people, millions of children, women are being sold more than any time in the history of the world. I knew you knew your stuff because I was like, awesome, someone else gets it, <laughs> right? Right away, I knew because having spent at that point over 12 years working as a special agent with U.S. government, Homeland Security, and most of that time as an undercover operator, I know what it takes to infiltrate these rings and to get people. And people don't realize this concept that just because you're a cop doesn't make you inherently a better undercover operator. Like, it's almost like you got to be lucky if someone in your unit can also be undercover. I'd rather have an actor that can be trained as an operator than an operator and make them an actor. And the actor part is what is going to save the kids, keep us safe. And I knew that, right? But lots of rules and government doesn't allow you to necessarily use. So I was like, right away, my first idea, more than anything else was, would she go undercover with us? Like, we could get so much more done. I think I asked you, I said, could you make your voice like a 10-year-old? Okay, so why don't we, why don't we, <laughs> let's go back to that. I want to go back to that. I want you to tell our audience a little bit about who you are. Sure. And why you founded it and why you left the government, like in your own words. Yeah, so I loved working for the government. I was having spent over a decade working child crimes. And when I started, it was at a time when no one really knew what human trafficking was. Right. We didn't even have the stats yet that it was a $150 billion a year industry, right. the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world. This is not some peripheral issue. And even today, most people think it is, right? right? It is not peripheral. It is front and center. It's the most important thing, but you wouldn't know it just by watching media. Right. It should be the headline every night. There should be protests in the streets every yeah. day. We protest everything except for the fastest growing criminal enterprise that is destroying children. Right. Like, what is wrong with us, right? Right. But at that time, you know, I was discovering it. This is early 2000s. Okay. This and is why you're with Homeland? This one is Homeland, yeah. Okay. In 2006, the laws changed in the United States. It yeah. allowed for the first time U.S. agents to go overseas in search of pedophiles who were raping children overseas. Mm. Before that time, before 2006, it was, it was the Adam Walsh Child Protect Act. Right. Before that law, you had to prove that the sex tourist, while standing on U.S. soil, had the intent to travel to rape. Right. Which, and how often did that happen? Yeah, every time they took a log or my intent to leave, the, you know, so zero prosecutions right. before that time. So all of a sudden the floodgates were opened and we could go. Mm. And I got put on a small team of people. It was kind of like an experiment. Like, okay, I speak Spanish. Like, go overseas, go south of the border, see what you can find. Mm. And that's when my eyes really opened up to what was going on. Not that it's not happening here in the U.S., but you got to talk a lot about that. It's happening. We we're, we're in the top three for destination countries, right? Right. But it's more online. It's harder to find. But now we're catching up with how to do it, right? But at this time, I was discovering something totally that I didn't understand. Up until this point, it was mostly like child exploitation material, child rape videos. We we're getting the end users and taking down, you know, servers and things like that. But this was go find the kids. Right. And I'd get into these countries with a limited time, because we had a limited budget, limited jurisdiction, and I'd always find the kids. The kids were like, I couldn't believe how easy it was. They're on beaches. They're on, you just have to know how to play the role and ask the right questions. What kind of questions did you ask? First, we work with the governments, right. like the host government, and say, where is trafficking happening? And they're just like, oh, there's a beach on this island. This is a true story. Like, There's a beach on an island off of Cartagena called Playa Blanca, mm -hmm. okay? We know children are being sold there every day. Why don't you do anything about it? Well, because the tourist police have sovereign control really over that, and they're there to protect tourists. 
and it's just lack of resources. So we go out to the beach and literally just sit there with undercover glasses, sunglasses, whatever, water bottle. And within 20 minutes, this guy walks up. He calls himself Fuego. Mm -hmm. And he starts offering us kids as young as 11, 12, 13 years old. And he says, right now you can take them. They're in that house. He points to a house. So I'm like, oh, we're not ready yet. You know, I want to have a party. I'm going to be my friends. So then I go back to the prosecutor's office in Cartagena. I'm like, you won't believe what just happened. Look at this footage. And they're like, holy crap. We got to do something about this, right? So I would have these kind of cases in the government. Mm -hmm. But then what would happen is if an American didn't present himself in that little window of time I got, Mm -hmm. then we had no jurisdiction. It wasn't going to end in a U.S. courtroom. Therefore, I was told you have to come back. We don't have jurisdiction or budget. So meaning if the kids weren't American or you didn't have an American citizen there buying the kids, there was nothing you could there's do. No, there's no jurisdiction. Right. And then it's like, Tim, we don't have the mandate. There's no statute. There's no constitutional mandate for us to be doing this unless there's an American involved. So I understood. Right. If I was my own boss, I'd be telling me no too. Right. But years of having to come home, yeah. having made myself the bait to get in, and then if I walk away, I have one that got the rapport with the traffickers. Right. And so the host government's like, what are you doing? Where are you going? If you leave, the case falls apart. And so finally, it was two cases that I was working that happened just like that, one in Colombia, one in Haiti, mm-hmm. where I was so emotionally tied to the case. I had seen the kids. Right. I had seen the bad guys. Like, we were invested. I was invested. And I was told, come home. And it was at that point where I was like, I can't do this again. And it was really my wife, because I remember telling Catherine, like, I'm having to walk away again from this case. But this one in particular, this one in Colombia, based on the intel we're getting, I think we could rescue over 100 kids. It'd be the biggest rescue of all time, but I'm being pulled off. And it was Catherine who said, well, this is easy. It's time to quit. If you quit, could you do it? I'm like, yeah, if it could like raise a million dollars in the next couple of months. And I thought she was joking, you know, she's like, I'm not joking. In fact, she felt so passionate about it that she, this was in 2013, she said, do you think you could rescue kids if you quit? I said, yes, I do. I think I could raise enough money to do the operations, but then I don't know how I'd feed our family three months after that. (laughs) And she said, I don't even care about that. She said, if you think you could rescue kids, she said, then I will not let you jeopardize my salvation by not doing it. Those are exact words. That's an exact quote because it like penetrated my heart when she said it. And I said, if that's how you feel, then I'm done. Let's do it. Let's go for it. And so we quit. We did raise about a million dollars, like a, by a miracle in about a month. I don't know how that happened other than just divine intervention. Mm-hmm. It's not a ton of money when you consider how expensive these ops are, right. but at least it was going to allow us to do these two operations. And those were the first two operations we launched out in in 2014. Mm-hmm. One was in Haiti where we tracked down the intel. We found this false orphanage. Right that was selling 28 little children as young as one up to like 13. Crazy story that you know, right? We ended up taking the place down. We went undercover. I ended up adopting two of the kids who are now home with me. I know, and they got so so big. It's an amazing story. And then sure enough, on the Columbia operation, which we were working simultaneously, it was over 120 victims rescued most children. And then sure enough, we found Americans at the end of that. And that's what I was always telling my bosses was, let us stay. When there's a takedown, you'll find the Amer- Americans are the, we're the demand, right? We are the number one consumers of child sex in the world, which should make everybody really nervous, right? Yeah. And I always said, my theory was, once we take down these organizations and we get the cell phones and we get the digital evidence, you'll track it back to a U.S. Find Americans. And that Columbia case, we did. The guy's name was Dennis De Jesus. He was a sex mm-hmm. tourist that was going down to Columbia to rape minors. So that was the beginning. And each of those stories, I could take three hours. Of course, it's crazy. Do, there's documentaries. There's a feature film based on it. 
But that's how it started. And then after those two operations, they were so successful that we no longer had to knock on doors and ask, can we help you? They started knocking on our doors. And when you say they, can you explain a little bit about how OUR works with governments and law enforcement? Yes. That? Like okay. uh, the Hollywood Vigilante, cool name, but we're not vigilantes, right? Right. That term is used very loosely. Mm-hmm. It's a cool name. Because a vigilante, <laughs> a, a vigilante technically means you're working outside the government. Right. Which we don't do, as you know. I do know. You've been on multiple operations with us, and you know that every time we are hand in glove mm-hmm. with the governments because they have the authority. We don't have authority. Basically, what we are, are mm-hmm. we're like glorified informants. Right. An informant basically is anybody who can get access to a place or to a crime that law enforcement can't otherwise get to. And usually, informants are creeps. Mm. They're usually bad guys who have the credibility. We're good guys, we're clean, and we pay our own way. You don't have to pay us like you do other informants. And we're experts in the field. So they would sign us up to work for them under their jurisdiction, official relationship, Mm -hmm. and then we go in under their command. Mostly because we look like this. (laughs) We are what traffickers are looking to serve. And so we can infiltrate 10 times faster than a foreign national in that country could. But it's very important to understand how that relationship with the governments we work with is so tight. Yeah. Like paper, documented. They sign us up. So we're covered. We can't get in trouble, you know, like for buying and selling kids, right? We are an extension of that government. Right. So I remember when, you know, you and I talk over the years, we've been doing this together for a while now. And you'll always tell me like, okay, Holland wants us to come over. Or this country wants us to come over. And you said something very interesting when you were talking, which is the people that go into these places to buy these kids look like Americans because it's Americans because that's the profile of people who travel abroad to have sex with kids are Americans. And I remember, you know, the last one, which we'll get into, but the last one that we went on, when you told me that they won't let any locals Hmm. in, that's the guy's greatest protection is that he'll only let Americans in. Yeah, there are literally brothels, as you know, because we infiltrated one, and I hope we can talk about it. Yeah, we can. we can. Let's not just say the country. That's all. Yeah, gotta, exactly. because the case isn't quite closed no. yet. But by the no. time this airs, maybe it will be. Exactly. But yeah, literally, there are brothels that only let Westerners in. Right. That's how they feel safe. Right. They would never suspect no. that this face or that face could be working with the police in that country. Right. Never. Especially when you're paying a cover charge of like $5,000 to get into a place. They know that this government couldn't afford that. And it's true, they can't. So we can do so much good for these governments. What's been a challenge is most of the cases we've done, like the first time we did a case in a certain country, I'd say 90% of the time, it was their first undercover anti-trafficking case. So we are really coaching them the whole time. In fact, we just hired one of the top, I think the top DOJ prosecutor. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Anti-trafficking prosecutor. She was, I'm not going to say her name yet because she's not officially on, but she was the prosecutor who worked with me for 10 years at all my cases. And she's now retiring and coming to work for us. And what she's going to bring is the expertise in making sure that the prosecutors and judges are trained on how to do these cases. She's written legislation Mm. in several countries, for example, how to, and every country needs to adopt this, but so many have not to where you seize the assets of the traffickers, the money gets to go to the victims, to the survivors. And so she's going to be on board with that. That's the last kind of piece of OUR that we haven't developed, is fully helping train these prosecutors to make sure the cases work. I want to meet with her. Yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. She comes on in like a week. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about you and I and what we do together and how that whole thing started. So I go back to that restaurant. Okay. And here I am. I'm like, I was so scared to ask you. I'm like... Really? Well, yeah, because I didn't know 
would you be willing to like risk your life? I think you asked me when we were on a plane to Haiti. Do you remember that? I was on a plane to Haiti with you. Did I trick you into no. going undercover? No, no, <laughs> no, I loved it actually. I don't know if you remember this. We were on our way to Haiti. I had brought a bunch of toys and a bunch of stuff to give to the orphanage, mm -hmm. to Gwesno's place. And we were going because there was a house that was being used for organ trafficking. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah. And then it was on the plane. We were like, hey, and that's when you asked. Remember that? Yeah, would you go undercover? Yeah. So talk about how like, when people read about like that I've done this, like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And I'm a superhero. Yeah. Or like, I'm Superman or whatever, right? So I kind of want to walk people through, how does it work with you and I? How does this work? Yeah, so you know? what's so important, I've learned so much. Because when I started this, mm. when I started in anti-trafficking and fighting child exploitation, it was really new to everybody. Like it was in the days when the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Forces were just beginning. Right. We were just discovering how bad this was. And then the, the law of 2006 opened up a whole new world. So I've always been on like the front of this, mm. learning what works, learning through failures how to do this. Right. And ultimately what I realized taking a lesson from the original Underground Railroad and Harriet Tubman. I mean, really, that's with lack of any other curriculum to learn from. Like, I seriously read every book I could on the other time when I knew slavery was real and existed. And what did they do? Right. And it's all about infiltration. It's all about undercover operations. The problem was, I always had a limited group from which to pick our undercover operators. And again, just because your law enforcement doesn't inherently make you a good undercover operator. I mean, I've gone out with guys that are like, in fact, I'll tell you this, when I went to undercover school, I was shocked the first thing they said to us, like, we are not here to make any of you undercover operators. We can't. We're here to find out which one of you is. And then we can kind of help and coach you. You either are or you aren't. Right. I think of our graduating class, like only a third of us were allowed to go do undercover work immediately. Like, so. I was shocked to hear that there was an undercover school. Yeah. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. And it was good. It was great. There was no curriculum yet in the early 2000s on how to pretend to be a pedophile or how to, because it was all very new. So I had recognized that, and I still say this, and there's some people that would disagree and fire back, and I don't care because I care about kids and I know how to save them. And I would much rather have an actor who I can train to be an operator than an operator and train them to be an actor. Because the skill of acting that you have is paramount. It is the key. It's the key. And I literally started noticing as we were using you, mm. Like the first time we really used you in a very intense scenario, I had never seen this happen in my life where we went out, put you undercover. You actually were playing two roles mm -hmm. as someone trafficking her own babies, but also the voice to be a 10 year old or 11 year old because these traffickers who are, want to rape kids, they want to make sure the kid is real. And when they heard you talk as a 10 year old, I mean, the guy was like, you remember when it was the creepiest thing ever. Yeah. He's like, well, what do you say? This, this, I just, that's too good. To pass. This, I can't pass this up. I'm on my way. I'm coming over. Right. I'd never, ever seen 40 arrests and 40 prosecutions, convictions, hundred percent. That never happens. And the only variable that was different was you was having an actor in place to convince these guys that we really are selling kids. And then of course you take these guys off the street and find out that they are preying on other kids. So you're literally rescuing kids. Like you're preventing yeah, you can't even put a number on how many kids were actually so rescued. Rescuing kids that didn't even know that they needed to be rescued. Right, and that's the best kind of rescue. Yeah. Actually, let's talk a little bit about that. I wanted you to talk about how that police force was when I showed up. Well, first of all, they recognized Which you. Which now we're super good friends with. But yeah, yes, but at first they're like, and this is law enforcement culture Yeah. that I fought against, you know. Tell about that. First, I want to start by saying anyone who's in law enforcement, you got to bend the box, guys. You got to get outside the box. It's hard. Old school cops, we have to do it this way. You gotta bend the box and get outside the box to save kids. 
And a lot are coming around and recognizing yeah. that. So you, you walk in and there's like, who's this girl from NCIS? Like, right, <laughs> that, they're more interested in getting autographs from you, as I recall, than actually putting you undercover. Oh but the chief, mm. Jason Parker, who you need to have on this show, right? Know, he to. got it right away. And he helped with some of the training. You know, we trained you for a while, but I remember he did some training with you as well. Yeah, like just so our audience knows, like you guys took me through hostage training. Yeah. The whole vice squad took me through hostage training there. You had sent two ginormous Navy SEALs to my front door one mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so like, but you trained me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wasn't going in there completely blind. Right. But I do remember they weren't very welcoming to have No, not if they were just like, she's an actress, that's she, cool, but you're not going to put her in, you can turn her cover. But by the end, they were just like, I mean, in tears. They're like, oh my gosh, this works. And you got to remember when we showed up to that jurisdiction, yeah. this was their first proactive anti-trafficking right. sting operation they'd ever done. Right. They just didn't know. And by the end, they were like, come back, come back, let's do it again. Where else can we take you? Let's, yeah. let's go here, let's go there. Yeah, um, just so people know, like I'm wearing disguises. Like we had someone come. I remember we changed your eye color. We messed up your skin. We messed up my skin. I look like a meth addict. I had all the oh, scars. Oh my gosh. We, no. tra- my favorite part, I think, was trashing the hotel room. I remember you telling me, like, we're holed up in this awful motel. And just so people know, like, you know, we put this ad. Do you remember what the ad said? I remember it's several. Like mom and, we put an ad in Craigslist. Oh, yeah. Mom and dad in town, three days only. Nine-year-old, 12-year-old girls. Need someone to educate our yeah. kids. educate our kids, yeah. While we watch. And we have to be careful, right? Because, like, Craigslist and these other platforms have filters that will knock off. So if we can keep the ad up for, like, 15 minutes before they knock it off, that's a success. But in 15 minutes, as you recall, and this is a little town in California, yep. within 15 minutes, there's like 60 or 70 pedophiles. And we limited the scope of the ad to just that region. Right. And within 15 minutes, once they kicked us off, yeah. which I'm glad they do. I'm glad they have those filters. Yeah, me too. But we had like the 70. For days. We had like 70 inquiries like, I'll come. Are you serious? You have a nine-year-old I can have sex with? Yep. What? And I remember the cops were like, what is going on? This is our town. We had no idea. Right. We had no idea. I remember because they email and then we've got guys that are emailing back and like, you know, they're sending dick pics and they're Mm -hmm. sending all that stuff. And I remember just like after my first night of being in the motel room that we trashed with beer and every cigarettes and like everything and made it look like we've been partying for days. And after talking to the guys on the phone, I remember just being like, just going, how do you not throw up? And I remember, I mean, it was like three, four days that we did this. And, and I remember after the first arrest, I was like, oh, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. What else can I do? Like, can I quit acting? Can I go to... Yeah, I remember you were willing to quit. You were like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> you well, actually, I was going to. Yeah. Because it was taking these guys off the streets. I remember that one guy that kept like, you know, these guys have been doing it forever. There was one guy that showed up with a gun in yeah. the cuffs. Remember him? Yep. It's creepy. And then Sir John. Yeah, who was the umpire of a kid's soccer or girl's softball game, right? Called us from the game. And he's like, I'm getting all hot and bothered. Just I'm seeing these little girls out here. Can't wait to come F you. Like, I hated that guy. Yeah. And he had been busted for a possession of child exploitation material years earlier mm-hmm. on a military base. No, that was, I thought that was the guy that came up with a gun. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. You're right. Yeah. But he had been the coach of one of the other guys that we caught. Yeah. Of his little league game. Yeah. When he was a kid. They all have access to kids. But of those 70 inquiries, 40 showed up and 40 were prosecuted. I remember Jason Parker called me. I was on the set of Riverdale, actually. And I hadn't talked to those guys in a while, right? Like maybe a year. And I remember I got a call from Jason. And I was like, hey. And it was in between shots. So I got to talk to him. And he... He's the chief investigator of this particular unit. In exactly. Yeah. And he told me 
about when Sir John got on the stand and how the judge gave him everything. (laughs) This guy was the guy that called us watching the softball team, had a 15-year-old daughter. And Jason called me to tell me that the mom, did you know about this? The mom came up to him at the trial and said, thank you, because I had kicked him out of the house six months prior to this because I thought he was touching and molesting my daughter. I did not know that. And I just, I mean, I was just bawling. And he would have had access forever to those kids. Yeah. And he went down. Several months ago, we're undercover and years have passed since that first one. And all of a sudden you were like millions of followers, right? And Riverdale like blew you up. And so there was question like, how can we put her undercover? I've also been in the media quite a bit. And I was like, how can I go undercover? All those doubts went away the minute we got the professionals in and fixed you up. Like literally on that operation we did in South America, which is going to be the biggest hit in that country in its history, which is about to happen, we can talk about. You remember several times I was like looking at you like laughing, like I didn't recognize you because you look so different and your voice was so different. Like I would never, if I heard that voice, think that that's someone I knew. There are several times like I was just laughing at you. You did the makeup and your makeup was done in a certain way that your your face looked, your nose looked different, everything looked different. And I thought there's no way, there's no way that if someone in here had even watched Riverdale, because I've known you for years, I was laughing because I couldn't recognize you. You had blue eyes. You had, I mean, it was crazy. I remember because I remember talking to you and you'd be like, I can't talk to you. You're like, you look too, I can't talk yeah, to you. Yeah, it was like creeping me out. <laughs> it's like, who are you? Like, you're like a stranger. Let's uh, talk about it. Like the stakes were high. Yeah. The stakes were through the roof on that one. Yeah. I cannot get recognized. Yeah. It was an unusual case because the trafficker only let Americans in and it was like a circus tent. Like, it was a beautiful place. Gorgeous. But they were trapped in there. Like, once he lets the guests in, and then he wraps the place. In cement walls. Yeah, you can't get out. Yeah. He'll let us out, but no one else. Right. It was crazy. But the reason that this country asked us to infiltrate was because all these girls, kids and women, would come to them, beat up and bruised up. And say, this guy beats us, he drugs us, and we end up in this brothel. Now, it looks like a five-star hotel, right? right? But it's, like, small. Right. Beautiful. And the police came to us and said, we can't get in because, first of all, it's $5,000 just to get into the place. And second of all, he will not let anyone in who's not American. Right. And so it was the only way to get in. Right. And this guy was also, you know, spoke perfect English and someone had to go in to dupe up good and get the intel. So that's what we did. You know, and it was also like when we showed up, like I want people to know that we have backup, like we have safe houses. We had like three with that one. We just yeah. had to get out of there to get to the safe house. Yeah, but we could have got to our safe house within minutes from yeah. at any point. We had a helicopter standing by mm-hmm. to take us off the island to a safe American island mm-hmm. if shit went down. Mm-hmm. My passport was at the embassy. Can you talk a little bit about the legal status of how I'm allowed to do this in other countries? We meet ahead of time with the prosecutor's office and they officially make us an extension of their team. Right. So we are sworn in, so to speak, not like with a badge, like we can't arrest, but they tell us what you can do. You can do this, you can go undercover, you can net, net, and it keeps us safe, makes us official, and that's how they did it with you. There's a file with your name on it in that country, you're still an active undercover operator for that country. And we're going back. And and we're going back. And we're going back. Okay, let's talk a little bit about sort of the training part, and like the behind the scenes part of ops, because it's fascinating to people. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to me, and I do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So let's just talk a little bit about that and the training that you've put me through, you put others through, the training that you've had. And you also talk a lot about how you train up these countries, their military, their law enforcement, mm-hmm. who are not used to doing undercover ops. Mm-hmm. 
So you also have to train them and teach them how to do it. And you and your team do that. So there's a part you can teach and there's a part you just can't teach. The part you can teach are like defensive tactics, mindset, combat breathing, things to kind of get you focused. What happens if they do take you hostage? What are you going to do? Train on our technology. We have technology, as you know, where the guys in the Unified Command Center can see everywhere we are at any given time. In fact, they can see which corner of a room we're in and they're 24-7 on us. Right. And they know how to infiltrate the place and extract us if necessary. Right. It's learning how to read an ops plan and ask the right questions about all the security. Right. Like to make sure we don't get hurt in this process. So that's most of the training that it can be taught is that the more important piece of the training can never be taught. It can never be taught. And it's what you already came with. Something that I also have, luckily, you know, I'm not an actor. I'm not a No, but you're so good. But I, I can follow your... Like the reason why we're so good when we're out there together is we follow each other's leads. Yeah. Like if I go right, I know you follow me right. And if you go left, I'm following you left all the way because we don't have each other's backs. Yeah. The stakes are really high. Right. And you have to be able to improvise. That's why, again, you got to have that acting skill. If you remember, there was an intense situation at one point. Yeah. We didn't have time to, I'm not going to get into the details of it other than to say, we didn't have time to make a plan. It was a bad situation that could have gotten really bad. And you just said, like, instantly, you're just like, this is your 20 years plus of acting experience and having to adapt and, you know, be a character. And you're like, okay, I have an idea. Here's what we're going to do. You didn't even have time to explain it to me. You're like, you said, you just, trust me. You trust me. I said, yes, I trust you. And you went in and just like killed it. And <laughs> I've done dozens of undercover operations in the U.S. and throughout the world. There's only been two times I can think of when I almost broke. Like I was on the verge of breaking. One was when who would become my son. We're rescuing him. He's in the van and the traffickers are sitting behind me and he takes this necklace off my head and puts it on his. And this necklace was given to me years earlier by a five-year-old boy who we had rescued at the port of entry. And so it meant so much to me. And, he, and this little boy who were in the process of rescuing takes it off and puts it on. I was like starting to like tear up like, oh my gosh. He jumped into my arms and I was like, and the traffic was right there. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to see me start to cry because I was right. so, and luckily I was able to like do whatever I need to do to suck the tears back up. And I, I was okay. The right. other time, the only other time was this scene because I wanted to laugh. I'm not going to get into the details of what it was because the case is still open, Yeah. but you were so creative in what you did to get us out of that situation. And within minutes of you, once you started it, I knew we were going to be safe based on the reactions of everybody. Right. But I was like, oh my gosh, I am going to pee my pants. I'm going to laugh. Like, I wanted to laugh. It was so outside the box. And the trafficker was... He was freaked out. She was freaked out and just shifted. And he was eating out of your hand. Like, you had control of him. Complete control. He would have done anything for you in that moment. He he kept apologizing. Yeah. Bringing me Bringing you food and dessert. And it diffused the situation. And then even the next morning, I'm like, hey, sorry about that. He's like, dude. No problem, man. I'm just glad she's okay now. And people are dying right now. Like, what was it? And maybe someday we can get into the details of it. But I just, I'm not comfortable right now because it's ongoing. But but I remember you told me, you're like, there's no way they're going to figure it out. I remember the first or second night when we were in the safe house on one of these ops. And I was asking Maddie, who comes with us, who's like our beefy, giant bodyguard, like literally. Yeah. And I remember going, okay, but Maddie, there's two of us. Like, it's Tim and me. And he's your boss. And so what happens if shit goes down? He's your boss. What happens to me? And he obviously reassured me that he, you could take care of yourself and that he would help me. But he also said something to me. He said, your ability to fool these people into thinking you are who you say you are is your biggest protection. 100%. And our biggest protection. It is the number one protection for all of us and the operation. If you convince them 
that we are who we say we are, we're safe until the end. Right. That's it. And there's times when you and I have walked into situations where I'm like, is this bad intel? Are you sure? <laughs> if you remember that one place we walked into where it was yeah. like, are you sure? Because there's men surrounding us with guns everywhere. Yeah. And we don't have any on us. And yeah. we're just flying blind. But it works. That exact place. That place went down. We, we took 27 yeah. women and children out and, of there. Including, you know, there's that one girl who had been kidnapped from another Latin American country. And we're now taking care of her. We're helping her with her college education. Right. And she calls us her angels still. She's like, I thought I was going to die in that brothel. She was lured out as a young girl with promises of something else. Right. And she was stuck there. And the reason I'm cautious but not scared going into a room with all these armed thugs right. is because the thing we have that's more powerful than guns is the acting abilities that you have. And I dare say I have a little bit too. You do. <laughs> you do. I think it's also, it's not just that I can act, honestly. I know the world. Well, yeah. I know the world. Yeah. So when I was jumping on that phone as a little kid, I knew what buttons to push to get these guys to come out. You know, ever since I first learned about it, I dove in. Yeah. And I wanted to learn as much as I could so that I could do something about it. And then I met you. I've been able to do so much more. So much more. So thank you for that. No, thank you. I have to tell you, from going out with you, what always amazed me, like the first time that we did that up in that small town, what struck me was the men that showed up to do this with what they thought was a nine-year-old who had talked to me on the phone looked like normal people. Yeah. And I don't know what I expected. Like I expected, like, who are these monsters? And the monster looks like a normal person. That's right. Looks like us. That's how we pull it off. It looks like anybody. And then when we went to this other foreign country and, you know, we're face to face with these traffickers who help these women against their will and are doing these horrific things. The guy's like the nicest guy in the world. He's your buddy. Oh, yeah. He's your best friend. Yeah. Just a totally normal guy. Totally. Yeah. If I'm being totally honest, yeah. it messes with your head. It messes with my head. I've been part of operations where we took down law enforcement who were doing this when they're not working or whatever. Educators, teachers, high school teachers. I've had at least two clergymen. Right. Right? One of them I was with you. So it's anyone. There's no profile. No one should ever make the mistake of thinking, oh, it's going to be that creepy guy. That, that No, it's not. No. It's going to be the father of four kids. I couldn't look at men the same after that first weekend. I remember No, it messes, it messes with your head. I couldn't. Me. It's still like even the last one that we just did. It took me several weeks to get normal again. Mm -hmm. Not like, I remember walking into my home and going, oh, okay, the mirror is not a two-way mirror. Like, okay, no one's going to come in. Okay, I don't have to worry about that. Like, because yeah. you get, the stakes yeah. were so high yeah. and I've never been in a situation with that high of stakes mm -hmm. that it just, it's hard to turn it off. The other part that, again, messes with you is, of course, the whole, everything with, to do with child crimes and just thinking of these kids who are being raped. And people might not understand this, this happened to me and every operator I've worked with. We're like, if it's a long-term deal, you actually start seeing the good in this guy, right? <laughs> you have to pretend to be his friend, right? Right? You actually become his friend, right? Because you're hanging out, you're talking about football, you're talking, you're joking around, and you're like, crap, I'm starting to like this guy. Jeez. He's selling kids and women for sex, and the persona that I am is his friend, and I'm starting to feel a connection with him because you know there's no one who's all evil, right? Right. And that messes, and it messes. At no point do you not want him to go down. Like your passion to help kids way overwhelms this. Right. But it's it messes with you. Undercover work is not as no. messy, messy mental. I remember feeling sorry for the guys that we got. Some of them were crying. I felt sorry for them. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Well, how am I feeling sorry for this guy? Yeah. He just talked to me on the phone and told me what he wants. Like, yeah, he showed up to rape a nine-year-old. 
But now he's crying and you're... And I was you're crying like, and I'm like, why do I feel bad for the this humanity guy? in all of us, you know? Right. I know you've had some incredible success stories in your aftercare. And I've seen the kids firsthand in Haiti mm-hmm. that you rescued. And I miss them, actually. I miss them yeah. a lot. Well, just recently. So that very first operation we did in Colombia, that's the basis for the Sound of Freedom movie yeah. that's coming out. There's a little boy in the movie called Simba. He's based on a real person. I won't say his name. That was back in 2014. So these kids are now becoming adults. And... We stay with them. We got them all into a vetted aftercare home that we still work with today. It's called Reina Ser. It's in Colombia. And this kid went through that aftercare program. He had been trafficked for years and years leading up to this. We stayed with him. And then he came out and he wanted to start his own business. He wanted to learn English. We gave him grants and scholarships. He has his own business now. He's a hairdresser, like super, super high end. (laughs) And he was just up in the States recently because we got him some advanced training in California, mm-hmm. where he was able to get advanced training in hairdressing. And while he was there, he was telling us this amazing story that once he became an adult, he became an ambassador for OUR and for anti-trafficking. And he goes out into the streets and finds people who are, you know, women or children who are being sold. And he says, look, I have a way out for you. Here's the plan. Da, da, da. He came across this one woman who was so depressed because she'd been in this for so long. And she was pregnant as a result of being trafficked. And she told him, she's like, don't waste your time with me. I've already made my mind. I'm killing myself. I'm going to kill me and the baby. And he's like, don't do that. Don't do that. He's like, have the baby. And he had just been married. And he said, we will adopt your baby. And then you can come be an ambassador with us. So the woman didn't kill herself. She had the baby. This now adult, young adult, is the father. He adopted her and saved two lives. Right? And so that was just like so warming to my heart, right? Because, you know, we're seven years old, so we're only now able to see what happens when they become adults. Do they actually get to reintegrate into society? Can they overcome? Can they become survivors and thrivers? And and the answer is yes, right? And we have other examples, but this one was so amazing that, like, next generations are being rescued by those who were rescued. All right, so before we go, first of all, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. But before we go, you know, my goal in this whole podcast is to get people activated is to get people involved. They're going to say, how can I help? What can I do? So the first thing you do is Google, find an organization that suits your passion, right? There's education, prevention, there's aftercare, there's rescue, there's groups like OUR. We're one of the largest that does all of it. Right. But I don't care if you support us or someone else. A lot of times it's cool to support the local one, right? Where you can actually be fighting trafficking in your particular region, right? Right. But they can always come to OURrescue.org. Mm-hmm. And we have an icon that you click that says, join the fight. Mm -hmm. And we have all these ideas. But when people ask me, what can I do? I turn it on them. I say, you know before me what you can do. I tell people, go watch one of our documentaries. Like, go watch Operation Toussaint. We have another one called Operation Triple Take. You're in Operation Toussaint. Mm -hmm. It's on Amazon right now. They can go watch it. And I tell them, watch it, have a pad of paper, and at the end, have three things you're going to do. You feel inspired to do. Only you know your time and resources. And Is it donating? Is it creating an event? Doing an event? Is it getting involved on the political side? new legislation. There's so many things you can do. Write down what you're going to do and then pick five people, send a link to that documentary and tell them to do the same thing. That's right. Right. So that's why I usually tell people, you tell me what you can do and then we'll support you in your idea. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. When are we coming back? Because we only scratched the surface. No, we did just scratch the surface. (laughs) I'm going to have you back. I want to have Jessica Mass on to really go into the aftercare. Yeah about that as That'd well be awesome. and other people that you and I know yeah there's so many people there's so many amazing people in this fight yeah that need to be on this show so everyone this is Tim Ballard from Operation Underground Railroad I'll put a link obviously to OUR this is one of my best friends in the entire world thank you thank you Martha.